2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. Let's read it together. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, the grace of God to be with us all, as Paul, the apostle, states in this letter, and as is so clearly seen by your own hand. This morning we want to be and are full recipients of that grace. So again... We ask you to teach us and feed us through your word, by the work of your spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please be seated. Well, just in case you have jumped in here at the tail end of the studies of First and Second Thessalonians, we Remind ourselves, of course, that the Apostle Paul was in Thessaloniki uh, for a short period of time, about three weeks, ushered out of there through kind of a violent uh, exchange, went to Corinth and wrote 1 Thessalonians, and then just a couple of months later, again, wrote 2 Thessalonians to address Heronius uh, erroneous, rather, false teaching that the Thessalonian Christians had missed the coming of the Lord. And so Paul, in his second letter, reinforces to them that they, they have not missed his coming and that they're not to be shaken uh, by anybody's word or uh, as if it was even a letter from them. And then throughout the course of the second book, to them, or the second letter to them, he takes opportunity to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. This is one of the Apostle Paul's earliest writings, which makes it unique and special in that regard. And here in the final chapter, the last chapter of 2 Thessalonians, he addresses many things in the life of those Christians. He addresses prayer. Uh, he addresses uh, the evil one, Satan himself. He addresses subjects like obedience and, and guidance from the Lord and proper conduct toward others who call themselves Christians. And so all packed right here in chapter 3, we're going to begin with that first subject of prayer, and I draw your attention back now to verse 1 of chapter 3, when Paul writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Isn't this beautiful that Paul, who was so well-versed in watching God work and 
this was, again, his second missionary journey in which Thessalonica had been established. Isn't it interesting that, that Paul affirms the importance of having others pray for him and for those that are serving? And it reminds us that not only did he know that the success, that's kind of a challenging word, but the success of his ministry, more importantly, the the success of what God had called him to really didn't rely upon just what he did, where he went, how he maneuvered himself or Any of that was not solely going to glorify God. He knew to be dependent upon the prayers of others. Several of his letters, Romans 15.30, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayer to God for me. If you're taking note for some of these, 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many people on our behalf. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. Paul said in Ephesians 6.19. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher of the turn of the century, said, You cannot tell how much God's servants are helped by the prayers of his people. He goes on to say, The strongest man in Israel will be the better for the prayers of the weakest saint in Zion. The strongest of Christians would be the better by the weakest of a Christian who will simply pray. Who is it that you have praying for you today? Have you enlisted someone? That's kind of a strong question, isn't it? Well, yeah, you know, when I'm in trouble, I call so-and-so. When things aren't going well, then I put my name on maybe the prayer chain. All well and good. But what about a regular prayer warrior on your behalf? Someone who will say, yes, I will remember you regularly in prayer. Paul understood the value of it. We all should embrace that as well. Perhaps that's something that this morning you would go, you know, yes, God's been tugging on my heart to to get that in place. And his prayer for them specifically at this moment was that what? In the latter portion of that verse, that the word of the Lord would run swiftly. The King James Version of the Bible says that the word of the Lord would have free course that it would be able to just, it, the word of God, would be able to run and go and do what the word of God wants to run and go and do.
Now we do know, according to the prophetic word of Isaiah 55:11, that God himself says that his word that goes out of his mouth. And what would that constitute? Everything here, right? For all scripture is God breathed. In other words, God spoke this. And Isaiah 55.11 tells us that God says that every word that goes out of my mouth, I'll read the verse, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. So yes, God's word will not return to him void, and it will prosper in the thing in which he sends it, how much more the reminder of his word mixed with faith and prayer, what it accomplishes. Paul says, pray for us. God's word will, but pray that it'll have free course. And he goes on in verse 2 and 3, he says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. A couple of words here that struck me is that Paul says, continue to pray that, that we'll be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. That word there in the original means be rescued. And is it not also interesting that here you have this tremendous warrior of the gospel who says, don't forget to pray for me that I'll be rescued from. And the clear definition is rescued from the impact of evil, wicked, unreasonable men. Paul goes on to say in other areas that, you know, either rescue me from the unreasonable or change the unreasonable into a reasonable man. Wouldn't that be better? And so... Here when he says that the Lord is faithful, he will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Have you ever thought about what, what this means? Is that guarding the promise of never being uh, tempted, never being brought into an onslaught of, of hard, heavy things that are challenging the work of Christ in us? You'll be happy to know this morning, if you didn't already, that God has Satan on a leash. He can only go as far as God allows him to go. And yes, the prince of the power of the air, principalities, has a, a measured authority here on earth, but that authority is, is usurped by the sovereignty of Almighty God. And the Lord has told us in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, 
Um, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, that there is no temptation that will overtake you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may able, be able to bear it. In other words, I'll paraphrase. In my short experience here on earth, some 30 years walking with God, is that sometimes he'll take us all the way to the edge. To the point where you might go, God, I, I, I can't take anymore. And he goes, perfect. That's right where I needed you to be. Because now that you are at the end of your resources, I will step in with my infinite resources and bring you the way of escape. Did, was not Jesus the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? I love what um, I heard recently. You know, someone was in trouble and, and they were asking a, a man to help them understand this trouble is in. And, and the man says, look, I'm just a man, but, but Jesus is right here. Ask him to help you. The Lord told Peter, bold, strong Peter, as it relates to, you know, the, the ability of Satan to come and just kind of bring confusion, doubt. Jesus told Peter, said, and his disciples in, in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, he said, I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the Lord turns to Peter, knowing all things and knowing what's going to happen in Peter's future, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Have you ever felt like the circumstances of this life have put you in a threshing and, and you're just being shaken and sifted and, you know, oh my gosh, help. Be encouraged because as Jesus told Peter, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And Peter's faith ultimately did not. And we're told in the New Testament that Jesus, even right now, is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. The Lord is faithful. And Paul knew a little bit about the Thessalonians because he had received word from Timothy and Silas who had taken word to him of how they were doing. And his short time there listening to what God had done and was doing in the life of that gathering of believers, he says in verse 4, he says, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do. Notice that. If you mark Bible or take notes this morning, 
Paul says, I'm confident in the Lord concerning you that you, you do, A, and will do, B, the things we commanded you. And now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. I thought it was uniquely important to take note of the fact that, that Paul didn't trust the Thessalonians, so to speak. He didn't trust the Thessalonians. As, as powerful as their testimony is, notice the phrase, verse 4, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. He trusted the Lord in them. Because he knew by evidence that the Lord was in them and was working. Do you trust the work of the Lord in some others in your life? You know, here, uh, being gone last week, I trust the Lord in Pastor Austin. It's like, give him this pulpit. I trust many that are here serving. Many of you that I know, I, I trust the Lord in Brian, who serves our youth, and Lisa. I trust the Lord in, in Dean, and the men who serve as ushers, and Chris, our board. I trust the Lord in my wife. Do you trust the Lord in others? Or do you try to micromanage their faith? Be careful. Be careful not to try to micromanage how somebody else is going to grow in the Lord. Just, just know that the Lord is in them and then trust the Lord in them is the point here. And we may ask, well, what things did he that you do and will do, the things that we commanded you? What things did he command them to do that they were doing and he knew they would continue to do? Question mark. Well, without taking this entire service to go revisit those things, very briefly, in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, 13 and 14, he charged them to walk worthy of, the, of God who calls them into his kingdom and glory. In the first letter, chapter 3, verse 12, he said he wanted them to increase and abound in their love one for another. He also said in chapter 4, verse 3 of the first letter, abstain from sexual immorality. He talked to them in the first letter about the coming of Christ and that they were to comfort one another. Uh, they are to warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Chapter 5 of the first letter, he said, render no one evil for evil. But pursue what is good. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without, 17, uh, without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything give thanks. This is the first letter, chapter 5. Uh, verse 19, don't quench the spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Verse 21, test all things and hold fast to what is good. And finally, he said, 
uh, in verse 22 of the first letter, abstain from every form of evil. How about that? Paul is saying, I know you do these things and will do these things. But he wants to give them yet another command, a new one. In verse 6 of where we are this morning, he says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. So now he takes this relationship in the body of Christ that is to be known and understood a bit further, having again heard that there were disturbing rumors being propagated by some in the area of Thessalonica, shaking and, and bringing concern into the hearts of those in that church, he, he knew. And so he was saying, what you need to do when there is a brother, now key word in verse 6, um, withdraw from every brother. This is someone that is clearly come to faith in Christ. This is someone that confesses and espouses themselves to be a Christian, and yet they are walking disorderly. Now, he doesn't uh, exhort a shunning. That, and let's be clear here, because even later on, he's going to add one other perspective in our approach to someone who we know that they believe themselves to be a Christian. We know that they profess to be walking with God, but in their lives, there's, there's a clear disorder. Paul just simply saying, step back. Step back from such. The relationships we keep are important. The relationships that we invest in and spend time with are important. Those who we choose to hang out with are important choices. Are they not? And so Paul's saying, if you see someone like that, step back, withdraw, right? For you yourselves, in verse 7, know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. The short time that Paul was with them, he gave them a living, breathing example of what it would mean to just walk with God, to believe in Christ, and to be seeking to grow in the grace of God. It says, we weren't disorderly among you, verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. As I read that, I hear that Paul's saying in this letter to them and, and in his closure of the letter to them that he, he could have exercised uh, an apostle's authority to be cared for, but he didn't. Worked hard, labored, toiled night and day 
so that he could give a clear example of how they should follow him as he followed Christ. For Verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Man, that's a pregnant sentence. It's a pregnant sentence, by that I mean, it has many possibilities of application in our culture, in our lives, and in our nation today. When was it that the welfare system was developed? Anybody here know, recall? Uh, Post-World War II? Before. When? Post-World War I. After World War I. And rightly so, laws developed in Congress landed in a way in which to, and we had the Great Depression that came, landed in such a way to bring substance and help to those that absolutely needed it. And in its origin, I mean, we can, you know, we can debate this and talk about it, and I think debate and talk is healthy. Um, I'm willing to do that with you anytime. I'm not asking you to just agree with me. In its origin, a, a great way to help a society move from point A to point B. If you think about the role of the church, really, maybe you've heard this said, is that if the church was really doing its job in the local community, there would be no need for welfare if we were to take care of those in our areas that needed caring for. In its origin, probably a good system, but that system has, over the years, been politicized and revamped and shaped to where now um, the welfare system has become a system that can be worked and an individual can learn how not to work and yet be cared for by the government. And the government will never be able to bring to the substance of, of the body of a human society uh, the rights and the wrongs of, of how we are to live. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, you know, a person should work Barring that they can, you have to take into consideration things like physical disabilities and, and mental disabilities and, and those kind of things in which when those are the case, are we not to reach out and take care of those who cannot care for themselves? So a little bit of a rabbit trail here. Where I was going with all of that is stimulus. Do you know, here's, a, here's an interesting point, and this is a political statement, but I'm, I'm going to make it, you know, Washington at home. Do you know that the government really doesn't quite know what it's doing in this regard? I'm talking about stimulus. You're, you're laughing, but do you know that this church 
has received direct deposit into its bank account a child... Um, uh, yes. Why? <laughs> we're, not, we're not an address, a family. How, how did they... And if one... Why one? We got one, right? One? No. Four, Melissa is saying. We've had four direct deposits from the federal government into our bank account that are supposed to help take care of children. Somebody up there doesn't know what they're doing. Why did I go there? Because I think it's important for us to embrace what Paul is saying here in the basics of life is that if we can work, we are to work to eat. Enough said on that. For we hear, verse 11, that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. A couple of comments. Uh, one commentator says that the idleness of some had become a source of sin. And it was not only because of the work that they didn't do, but also because of the harm that they did do through idle time. Calvin writes this on this comment. He says, it is the inactive drones whom Paul is berating, those who live by the sweat of others, while they themselves do nothing for the common good to help the human race. And Calvin gives some examples that I won't. But isn't it interesting, kind of, you know, healthy society basic 101, right? Care for one another, work if you can. Care for one another, work if you can. And if you're going to choose to just be idle, and be a busybody about everything else, that that's, that's not healthy Christianity. Verse 13, he says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. O Thessalonian, you who are doing good. O Valley Springian, you who are doing good. Those of you in in San Andreas and the foothills up in those of you who are doing good Burson and Paloma those of you who are doing good don't grow weary in that and I ask myself how would then Paul who would put this in the category of, of admonition, exhortation, even command, to not grow weary in doing good. How do we not grow weary in anything? Answer, you need a source of strength. How do we not grow weary in just toiling through uh, each day's demands? We need a source of strength. The physical body needs food, water, vitamins. 
we are uh, blessed this weekend as we are uh, hosting, it's kind of a formal word, we're taking care of one of our grandsons. And um, so Luke is 11. And so having Luke yesterday, Grandma said, oh, you and Luke could take care of this and take care of that. Lots of chores I need to do around the house, right? <laughs> and I need to do them, and I need encouragement to do them. Here I got this young boy with me that can help me do them. And so there we were out yesterday, and I was talking to somebody else this morning who did two days of hard work in this beautiful weather. And, and I'm toast. I'm beat. This physical body wasn't you. I've talked to others who have done many yard work in this great weather we're having. And, and what happens when you get tired? The physical body needs to refresh. It needs to reboot. It needs a nice cool drink and some food and something. Well, as a spiritual body, best illustration I could give you this morning, as a spiritual body, how do we refresh? In the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. We need to refresh ourselves in the Holy Spirit of God. Ask him to uh, baptize us afresh. We need to uh, seek him afresh. Lay at his feet afresh. Men, when was the last time you shut everything else out and on your knees before God just spent some time? God, I'm weary. I'm running out. Help. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, oh God. He said if we ask, he will do it. I love that the ladies are uh, pressing forward to this retreat coming up, and that's going to be a time of refreshing for them. I love that the men often, and the ladies here, have midweek meetings where they're gathering and they're refreshing one another in the spirit. This is what Paul's talking about. As for you, we're setting what we were talking about the others aside now. As for you, don't grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word, verse 14, in this epistle. Wow. That's, that's a powerful statement. Paul says, okay, so I've, I've written it all down. Now, if anyone doesn't obey these things that are in here, these things that are in First and Second Thessalonians represent healthy Christian life. The expected return of our Lord and Savior not being without hope. And he says, if anyone doesn't obey the things that are in this epistle, note that person. He doesn't say judge that person. He doesn't say cast that person out. He doesn't say treat that person wrongly. Just make a mental note. Note that person do not keep company with him that he, paraphrase, or she, may be ashamed. In other words, there is, 
there should be a hunger in, in the heart of the individual that knows that they're a Christian but are willfully choosing to not obey the word of God, that there's something they're missing. I mean, I've talked with someone recently that they knew they were a Christian, but there were things missing in their life. There was a hole in their heart still. What about you this morning? You're here. We're gathered. The word of God is open. Maybe you are a openly professing Christian, and yet is there still something missing in your life? Are you still something you're trying to get after? Or, or can you say with the confidence of God, I am content today? Are you content? Paul tells us in other letters, be content in all things. Are you content this morning? If not, is there something that God is seeking and been seeking to do that you've kind of had the hand out? Oh, not that much, Lord. Not that much Christianity. Not that much. Ashamed, the, the sense there is that that longing to be content and be fulfilled would echo itself in, in a sense of being ashamed. And yet, notice what Paul says in verse 15. He says, and yet do not count him as an enemy. Your brother or sister who is uncontent and unfulfilled in their walk with God, who holds complete obedience to the Lord and a desire to continue always to grow in the grace of God, holds that at a distance, and you recognize that in their life, that person is not my enemy or your enemy. Yes, we're to take note, we're to make a decision of how much we hang with such an individual, but they're not our enemy. And he says, but admonish him as a brother. Galatians tells us that if anyone is overtaken in a fault, you and I who are spiritual, we're seek to restore such a one in spirit of meekness. So Paul gets into some very nuts and bolts kind of day in and day out to the Thessalonians here of how they're to continue to move forward and how they're to live with others, their conduct with others. And as we read in our opening verses together, verse 16, he closes and says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so he's covered these, these subjects in here thoroughly this morning. Really, as he was closing out the chapter, just kind of finally, but it's not final. I have all of this to say. And he, he addresses prayer, the importance 
of having someone remember you in prayer. If you take anything away this morning, have someone who's on the same page with you, willing to pray for you regularly. That the word of God would run swiftly, have free course in your life as well, so that as you share it with others, it accomplishes through faith and prayer what God says his word will do. Deliverance from unreasonable and wicked men guarding us from the onslaught of uh, our adversary and God's adversary, Satan. Hey, I'm so thankful this morning that I know God has Satan on a leash. He can only do so much. And God promises that he won't allow me to be tempted beyond that which I'm able to be bear, able to bear. And that's the same for you and I. Trusting the Lord in others. Not seeking to micromanage someone's spiritual growth, but just God's, they've taken the Lord in their heart. Let them grow. Withdrawing from those who are disorderly, not shunning them, but taking note. Not a lot of company with that such an individual, but when that individual comes across your path to admonish them, and to not grow weary as we do good. Stay in a place in life in general where we can spiritually continue to be refreshed. Worship refreshes us. Prayer refreshes us. The word of God refreshes us. All by a work of the spirit. Christian fellowship refreshes us. Christian service can refresh us. And so we say goodbye to the books of First and Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians this morning with a, a very heartfelt thank you to the Lord for all that he has given us in these two books and these weeks together, this great study. Will you join me in a closing song and word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you again this morning that as we hear the heart of your servant Paul writing to Christians in Thessalonica thousands of years ago that it's as though he's writing, you are writing to us this morning. And we receive it, Lord, not as it is, not as the word of men, but as it is the word of God. And we take that reception one step further this hour, and we simply say, Lord, will you take now what we have seen and embraced and, and believed to be true in your word, and, and now live that out in us, Lord. F allow us to flesh out this Christian faith that we have professed is ours. 
Lord, not by any work of our own, but by the work of your Spirit. Grow us, strengthen us, use us. Humble us, Lord, teach us. And we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name this morning. Because we just want to live for you, Lord. We want you to have your way in us. Not just today, but every day of our lives. That we might live for you. In Jesus' name we pray.